a podcast from the Arkansas Baptist State Convention. You're listening to Inspire On The Go. It's your weekly dose of fun, encouragement, real-life conversations, and all things women's ministry, regularly featuring segments from Andrea's radio show, Truth On The Go. If you find yourself on the go, then this is the podcast for you. Now, welcome your host, Andrea Lennon, as we talk about all the great truths that we can take with us as we go through our day. Hey, sweet friends, it's Andrea. I hope that your day is off to a great start. Oh, I'm so thankful for this day. I'm so thankful for what this day represents, a fresh start, a new day. And, you know, so often here at Truth on the Go, we talk about the power of our stories. And we talk about how we are called to know our stories, to own our stories, to share our stories, and how God, in His goodness and grace, He often uses our stories for a platform for ministry. And today we're going to talk about that. We have a sweet friend with us, Donna Clifton uh, from the Cabot area, and she has a powerful story that she's going to share. We also have Bethany with us again this morning. (laughs) Hey, good morning. Hey, hey, Bethany. How are you? I'm doing really well. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to be here. And Donna, I'm so excited that you get to join us today and just share your story. It'll be so, so good to hear. And actually, Bethany, you turned Mm -hmm. me on to Donna and told Mm -hmm. me about this women's event that you went to and how powerful it was. Yeah, I went to a amazing women's event a few weeks ago and uh, just really enjoyed it. Donna spoke and it was amazing just to see the Lord work through her and her story. And so I know everybody listening, they're really going to be impacted by by her testimony. And something that is new for me today is that I'm going to hear Donna's story as everybody else hears Donna's mm-hmm. story. And so that's actually really exciting because I'm really not sure, you know, all the paths that you have walked and how God has redeemed those hurts and those pains and now is using that for his glory. And so Donna, just tell us a little bit about yourself, maybe, you know, where you're from right now, a little bit about your background and what We'll jump right in. Okay. I grew up in a very small town. I grew up in Heber Springs, and I'm the youngest of nine children. Wow. Um, the good thing about growing up in a large family is that you always have lots of friends. You can also have a lot of enemies, too, <laughs> at any given time. But I grew up there, and I now reside in Cabot, and I taught for 26 years. I retired two years ago, and I'm absolutely loving retirement. Okay, so what did you teach? I taught first through sixth grade. Oh, wow. You know, different different grades through my 26 years teaching. All right, so take us back to your childhood and um, a little bit about that and just what your life was like as far as like being involved in church and things like that. Okay, um, when I was um, when I was little and growing up, we didn't really go to church as a family. My mom and dad always made sure that us kids were in church, but never, you know, really went with us except for maybe on holidays or things like that. I grew up going to the Methodist church there in Heber and learned a lot of the Bible stories, the, you know, the Old Testament Bible stories and things like that. And my sister, who is three and a half years older than me, was singing at, she was going to, started going actually to a different church and she was singing in a choir at the crusades that they had in Heber. I went to hear her sing, and I was saved that night when I was 11 years old. And I tried to read the Bible, tried to learn the Bible, didn't really understand a lot of it because I was 11 years old and had never really read the Bible, had heard the stories and things, had been taught the stories, tried to do what I thought God wanted me to do, but eventually fell away. Just, you know, gave into peer pressure, you know, <laughs> and fell away. That's got to be hard, you know, going to church uh, by yourself without your parents' support and trying to figure right. that out is very difficult for a young child. Right, yes. 
And, you know, one of the things, like I said, I remember the Bible stories. I honestly cannot remember a lot about Jesus, you know, that that was taught. And I'm not, please don't think that I'm dogging that church or anything. It's just I don't remember, you know, that. So Okay, so Donna, can I ask you, do you feel like when you were a child, did you feel like God was personal to you or was he kind of more like this figure up in the sky, you know, this this big man upstairs that you didn't really know? Yeah, that's exactly what it was like. It was not personal. And it felt like as I got older and started kind of walking, it always kind of felt like he was waiting for me to mess up so he could zap me, Mm -hmm. you know, and that was the view that I had of God. I think so many different people can relate to that. And, you know, I think sometimes that's just how we're brought up, you know, especially for us in an older generation where it was kind of all punishment based and, you know, salvation was about escaping hell, not necessarily enjoying a relationship. And so some of that just is a part of how we were raised. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So you fell away in a sense from church and you started kind of following the crowd. Where did that lead you? Well, it led me to a path that I wish I had never taken, but as going through high school and, and I mean, we would have parties on the weekends and stuff. I really did not drink that much. I did for a while, but then I just got to where I would go just to hang out with all of my friends. I knew that I was not wanting to have any physical relationship with anyone until I was married. I was young girl, had my life mapped out, you know, marriage, you know, not have sex until I was married, the white picket fence, kids and all of that. But I know that Satan had very different plans for me. And, you know, we hear all the time. The song, you know, Jesus knows our every weakness, take it to the Lord in prayer, that song. But what people don't tend to understand is that Satan knows our weaknesses too. And oftentimes Satan knows our weaknesses better than we do. And he is ready to jump in and he's ready to manipulate circumstances to tap into those weaknesses in hopes of, you know, drawing us away and drawing us into things that we don't need to be in, which is exactly what he did with me. So So where did that lead you? Well, um, I graduated high school and a friend of mine and I moved from Heber to Little Rock to go to to college here. We were living on our own in an apartment and we just thought it it was just the best thing because we could come and go as we wanted, you know, do whatever we wanted pretty much. So I remember going to class on my first day and the instructors told me, we don't care if you show up or not as long as you do the work. Well, I took them literally, you know, I didn't really go a lot. And I would go home on the weekends and, you know, hang out with my friends and, you know, catch up with everyone. And I went home one weekend to be in a wedding for one of my friends that I'd grown up with. And after the wedding, I had heard about a party that was at a you know popular place there. And so I went to that party. And again, I didn't drink. I, you know, just I went just to hang out and see all my friends and met this guy that I knew. I knew who he was, but I didn't know him. And Anyway, we met that night, and we just talked for hours and hours. And so we kind of began seeing each other. And I was still, you know, living in Little Rock and would go home, you know, go from Little Rock to home on the weekends. And I went home one weekend. My mom was in the hospital, and my father was an alcoholic, but he was not drinking. You know, he had stopped drinking. And so when I went home, my mom wasn't there. She was in the hospital and my dad was sitting and, you know, had a shotgun and was, you know, talking about maybe he just, you know, should end his life or whatever. And so, you know, after I kind of talked him off the ledge, so to speak, um, I left and I knew I wasn't going back there that night because I was absolutely just terrified. And 
needless to say, I ended up sleeping with the, that guy that night, even though, you know, and he had been trying for months and I gave in that night. And it's it's like the verse in Second Peter 5, 8 that tells us, you know, to be sober, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. And that's exactly what he was doing. Fear was one of my biggest weaknesses. And he knew how to tap into that fear to drive me to places that I should not be. And it's exactly what he did that night. Let me just ask you, Donna, as you were walking through that night, did you have a sense of, I shouldn't be here, I shouldn't do this, this is dangerous? Or was the fear just driving you to think, this is a safe place, this is where I should be, this is what I should be doing? That's exactly, the fear is, you know, it drove me to not really even consider my own dreams. You know, the fear took over And blinded me basically to everything else. And that's what's so so scary about sin, you know, and so scary about the devil's schemes and our flesh is that in those moments of weakness, if we're not sober in our judgment, we will begin to think in a temporary worldly mindset. And then those actions produce consequences. Exactly. And I I did not have a strong foundation in the scripture because, Mm -hmm. you know, I had not really been going to church. I had tried to read the Bible, but with without anyone, you know, being able to ask questions or to explain, I wasn't, you know, understanding a lot of what I was reading. I understood about salvation. I understood about that. And I understood about right and wrong. But I didn't have a strong foundation that we so desperately need when Satan is throwing things at us to be able to pull the, that scripture, you know, and refute him and back him off you know, just as as Christ did, you know, in the wilderness. Okay, so when we come back on the other side of the break, we're going to pick your story up and find out what happened after this fateful night. In just a moment, Andrea will return with a final thought. If you would like to hear more of her teachings, visit andrealennonministry.org. It is the ultimate website for the girl on the go with Bible studies, video sessions, podcasts, books, and down-to-earth blogs straight from Andrea's heart. Be sure and subscribe so that you can stay connected. Again, that's andrealennon.org. Now, let's hear a final truth from Andrea. We're back with Donna Clifton, and we're listening to your story, Donna. And you left us on the other side of the break where you had had this encounter with your boyfriend, and you had slept with him, and then you continued to do that in the future. Or tell us what happened next. I did. That's the way with sin is that once you give in and you cross that line, it becomes easier and easier just to pick up and become a part of your life which is exactly what it did. You know, we we began having sex, and and there was one month that we thought that I might be pregnant, and come to find out, I wasn't. But I didn't learn from that. And so the very next month, I actually ended up getting pregnant by him. And I remember he knew that I was pregnant before I did, and I just remember remember taking a pregnancy test because I was going to prove him wrong. And the pregnancy test came back positive. And... I was just completely overwhelmed because knowing now what I know, you know, there's a, a scripture in the Bible that says, you know, you know, your sins will find you out. And pregnancy outside of marriage is one of those things. And pregnancy, even in marriage, is one of those things that's very evident of what you have done to become that way, you know. So it's not something that you can just hide. And I remember talking, letting him know that it was, you know, positive and we decided that we needed to go to the doctor and to see if it was real. Well, I went to the doctor and it came back negative. 
And so he gave me some type of shot. I don't remember exactly what shot it was to see if it would help me, you know, start my period. And it didn't. And if it didn't, then I would have to go back. So I went back and I was pregnant. And at that point, the first words that were said to me was, you need to have an abortion. And my response was, no, no, I don't. That's murder. This is a baby, you know, and I'm not going to do that. Remember, I was still living, in, you know, here in Little Rock um, on my own. I had a roommate and no one knew except for me and him. So he, you know, immediately said, you need to have an abortion. And I was like, you know, no. Well, he wouldn't talk with me, would not take my phone calls, would not see me. Um, so I was completely left on my own. Um, at that point, I really thought that I was in love with him. And I, I say it at that point because being this far from it and knowing what true love is, I know, you know, then that I wasn't. And how old were you at this I was point? Um, 19. Okay. Yeah. So young enough to feel very, I mean, it would be terrifying for anybody, exactly. but very insecure in that moment, right? Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because I had nowhere to turn to. And there were not crisis pregnancy centers at that time. There was basically Planned Parenthood, and that was it. So after, you know, being on my own and not not knowing what to do or, you know, where to turn, Satan also worked that, too, because he effectively closed doors for me to be able to even tell my parents, you know, because that would have been a support for me. But Satan wants to isolate. He And I think he knew exactly what he was wanting to do because I Satan understands and knows the destruction of abortion, not only to the child, but to the woman who goes through it. And that is his goal, is to destroy people. And there was a young girl who, she was about a year older than me that worked with my mom, and she became pregnant. And, you know, my mom was telling me that, you know, that she was pregnant. And I remember my mom saying, is, oh, she has just, you know, destroyed her life. And you were and pregnant at the time. I was pregnant. And, and your mom didn't, didn't know. know. And yeah. did not know. And so she had effectively, at that moment, closed that door for me telling her. Now, I know that my mom was not talking about, you know, that pregnancy ruins a woman's life. She was looking at the difficulty that this young girl was going to face raising this child on her own and the struggles that she was going to go through. Because I was the youngest of nine and I know that my mom went through struggles, even though my dad was there. I know that there were struggles. So I know that that's what she was talking about. She was not, you know, talking about pregnancy being this horrible, bad thing. But it effectively just closed that door. There was no way I was going to say to her, well, I'm pregnant. Now, did you ever tell? I told them um, my dad passed away that next year. So I never told him. He actually passed away right around the time that my child would have been born. I did tell my mom later, I guess about maybe about 20 years later, or maybe not quite that long, mm. that I had had an abortion. Okay, Donna, so before we continue that portion of the story, I want to go back and I want to just get an idea of how you felt during that time when you're contemplating, what should I do with this pregnancy? I mean, I'm sure you had some sleepless nights. So take us back to that. I did. Just, you know, being on my own, I, I believe that I actually told my roommate so that she did know. But she was dating a guy and they were planning to get married. And so I wasn't really seeing her a lot. And so I was really literally completely on my own. 
I remember, you know, we'd go home on the weekends still knowing that I couldn't tell my mom. I remember one day I got more, had morning sickness, very, very severe. And it actually wasn't in the morning. It was the afternoon. So that whole morning part, you know, I'm not sure where that came yeah, from. It's a myth. Exactly. <laughs> but, you know, I remember getting so sick and, and throwing up and then eating potato salad as soon as I got done. And my mom was kind of looking at me. I'm not sure if she knew, but just knowing that I couldn't say, you know, that I had to act like everything was fine, knowing that I was completely alone and not knowing how to turn to God to ask for help. I mean, I knew that he was there and that he loved me, but I didn't understand how to turn to him and ask, you know, God help me walk me through this. And so I was trying to do it completely on my own. And my goal was to not lose him as well. And lose God? No, to lose, you lose your boyfriend. my boyfriend yes. as well. Yeah. And so I remember calling him and just saying, what will it take, you know, to make sure that things are okay between us? And, you know, if I go through with this abortion, will everything be okay? And he assured me that it'll be just like it was, you know, everything would be fine and it would be just like it had always had been. And so January 30th, 1982, he brought me down to Little Rock to the abortion clinic. And during all this time, I had been going back and forth to Heber instead of going to classes. So I actually flunked out of college. So I was moving home. So use that as an excuse to my mom for us why we were leaving so early on a Saturday morning to come down to Little Rock. And it's a day that I will never forget. You know, I can tell you what I wore that day. Now, I couldn't tell you what I wore last week, but I can tell you exactly what I had on that day because it is forever etched in in my mind. It's not a day that I think I will ever forget. So tell us about that day. I got up, got dressed. Um, He came and picked me up in his truck because we were going to move some of my furniture back as well that day. We drove down to the abortion clinic, which was over on 12th Street, off of 12th Street. And I remember walking in, and I remember people out there were yelling, your baby has a heartbeat, and people were holding signs. And these were things that I never really knew. And I was wanting to listen, but he took my hand and and went ahead and pulled me in. Went in and filled out the paperwork. They would ask me questions, and he would answer. So that day, I lost my voice you know, to be able to speak for myself, not not literally, not physically, but my voice was taken from me that day. And so I was not able to express anything. Um, they asked if I wanted counseling. He answered, no, I didn't. You know, anything that they asked, he answered and they took his answer. So I remember going through the, the procedure. I remember at one point, The pain was so intense, turning my head left and right, just trying to get rid of the pain. And there had been a nurse standing beside me. And at one moment, she actually stepped out of the way, and I saw my baby going through the tube. And another picture that is forever etched in my brain. Um, When it was done, they took us into another room and gave us cookies and juice as if we had just donated blood and told us, you know, once we were able to stand without, I guess, passing out, that we could leave. So we left that day, went over to my brother's. I had My niece was about three at that time, ran for me to pick her up. I picked her up knowing that I shouldn't have, but I had to have everything normal. We loaded furniture into his truck. I should not have been lifting or anything like that, but I did. 
I remember getting home, laying, just, just laying down and just wanting to sleep and finally did go home, you know, left his house and went home and, and slept through the night. And we, I guess, continued dating, but he broke up with me exactly one week later. Oh, wow. And so the moment I walked out of that abortion clinic, my life went into a huge downward spiral. It spiraled out of control and it just got worse and worse. Three years after I had the abortion, I ended up having to have a complete hysterectomy because my uterus had attached to my colon with scar tissue. And so my spiral became even worse um, because I had one pregnancy and I aborted it. And uh, my depression was just through the roof, but I learned how to put on a mask. I learned how to look like everything was okay, you know, to walk through the day. And that's exactly what I did for so many years was just go through the motions of life. Life wasn't really touching me. I could laugh at things I knew were supposed to be funny. I could cry at things that were, you know, that I knew would should be sad, but I didn't feel it. And I was just completely numb. And I was able to put the mask on and, you know, and walk through through life. I ended up doing a four-year college program in two and a half years um, because when I woke up in the hospital and they told me that they had had to do a complete hysterectomy, I was devastated. You know, I was 22 years old and knew that I would never have children. And so I went back to college or went, you know, got in college and ended up going through college in two and a half years and got a degree in education because I knew that if I couldn't have children, you know, teaching children, you know, being around children each day was something that would help. So for the next several years, Donna, it sounds like you just got busy and stayed busy. And I, I find that women often do that when it comes to issues of shame and guilt and just struggle. Like we just try to put good stuff on top of it and act like it didn't happen. Exactly. And I mean, it's like trying to make up for where we feel so strongly that we failed, you know, and, you know, what can I do to make this better? You know, because as nurturers, that's, you know, God built that into us. You know, we want to take care of situations and things and, you know, what can we do to make this better and how can I help? And, you know, we do that oftentimes to our detriment because we end up doing that instead of just taking care of ourselves, which is what needs to happen. Yeah. And I know that so many people who are listening right now can absolutely relate to that. They have some shame. They have some guilt. They have a secret. Maybe they've never told anyone. And now as you're sitting here today telling your story, we know that God has brought healing. He has brought purpose, you know, and so speak into the lives of that person who's listening right now and just like, how do I get from where I am to where you are? If you're sitting there and listening and you're hearing this and, and those feelings are rising up in you that are you're saying to yourself, that sounds like me. That sounds like, you know, what I feel. Just I want you to know that that there is healing, that you can strip that away. You can strip those feelings away. You can burst forth in new form and new shape because God has promised You know, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I know if you were like me, you could hear those words and believe they're not true for you. But I'm here and I'm speaking in absolute truth, because if it were not the healing that I had gone through, if if I had not been through the healing that I've been through, 
I would not be here. I would still be sitting exactly where you are with my voice silenced. And I just want to encourage you that there is help. There is help out there. Wow. Thank you so much, Donna. You know, and there's so much more to your story. I know this is just the tip of the iceberg in a sense. And that's true of all of our stories. They're complex, they're layered, and there's always more to unpack. And so we're going to do that next week. And I want to encourage everyone to come back next week because we're going to get very practical. We're going to talk about how you can walk through specific steps to experience that healing and how you can move from the place of losing your voice or not having a voice to proclaiming the victory that is ours in Jesus Christ. This episode of Inspire On The Go is over, but we hope you'll be back next Monday for the latest episode. In the meantime, you can visit absc.org forward slash inspire podcast to find more episodes and ways to connect with Andrea. Also, if you're in Central Arkansas, you can find Andrea's radio show Truth On The Go at 93.3 The Fish and 99.5 Faith Talk Radio on Sunday mornings.